Well, here we are, another week, uh, God's big picture. We're looking at the prophesied kingdom this week, but you might wonder what that even means. What is this that we're talking about? Who are the prophets? What's prophecy? I think a lot of people have strange ideas, but that's nothing new. I think that's true in a whole range of different ways. But I think some of it stems from our fascination with what the future holds. Uh, We'd like to know what will happen next month, next year, perhaps even well off into the future. What will happen in a hundred years, next century, or even a thousand years from now? Is there some way for us to know? And we particularly, as humans, are finite. Our limited attention span, limited lifespan means that we often wonder about what the future will hold. And so people uh, are often using various different methods even today to try and figure out what the future holds for them and perhaps even for the world at large. Uh, Just consider people using tarot cards or numerology, astrology, you name it. There are desperate people trying to figure out what the future holds. And it's not only those more obvious ways. There's even ways that some other people have adopted, like looking to the episodes of The Simpsons that have predicted future events. Uh, People have claimed that there were episodes in The Simpsons that predicted the September 11 terrorist attacks or perhaps Donald Trump's presidency and other various things. So here we are looking at the prophesied kingdom. And I'm convinced that although... We don't know specifics about where history is heading. I don't know how long I'll live or where I'll be in 50 years if I'll even be alive. I have no idea what will happen in a 100 or a 1,000 years from now. But I do know the God who does. He's got everything organised, everything under his control. The future is in his hands just as the past and the present are. So he is in complete control. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so even if we are wondering about where to look, we don't have to wonder about the Simpsons or look to Nostradamus. What we can do is look at the Bible. And although it won't give us specifics, what we do get is certainty about who God is and therefore we can entrust our future to him. So this is part of what the prophets do. So let's pray as we look at God's prophesied kingdom this morning. Father, we pray that as we look into your word that you give us insight about who you are, about your character and about the future. Uh, Lord, we know that you have everything in your complete control. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Thank you, Lord, that we see you are the God who keeps your promises. And we pray, Lord, that we will continue to trust you in the promises that you have made to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are, uh, God's big picture. We've seen the perfect kingdom established back in Genesis 1 and 2. And we saw the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 with the perished kingdom. And we saw that God made promises to Abraham. And then we saw Israel in Exodus getting the law. We saw last week the period through the judges and kings. And it seems as though God's kingdom is on the up and up now. At this point, though, what goes up must come down. If you know anything of Sir Isaac Newton, that's what he told us. And if you see the graph going up and up and up, 
that's a clue that today things are going to go back down. Things aren't going to end as well as perhaps we thought. And today we're going to see God's picture in three parts, the prophets, the promises, and the prophecies. Well, firstly, the prophets. Who are they? What was their job? And it it seems as though a lot of people have the idea that prophets were there to be fortune tellers. They would predict the future. The prophets had this job of informing the people what the future held for them. Well, not really. That's an element of what they do is to tell people what the future holds. But ultimately their job is to tell people what God says. And so there are prophets who have uh, written different parts of the Bible. Think of the writing prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. Uh, But there's tons of other prophets that get a mention just in passing. They haven't got dedicated books of the Bible, but they do appear, and they've got the same job, even if they're not having their own book. So think of Nathan, Elijah, and from our passage today, this lady Huldah uh, from 2 Kings 22. So there are many prophets throughout the history of Israel. Some get to write their own books of the Bible, some don't. But they've all got one message and one role. And the Old Testament is not filled with these people who just appear and predict the future, like Nostradamus. Uh, They've actually got an important job to help Israel, help God's people live up to God's covenant. Uh, Remember those promises last week and the week before? God has made to Israel that he would be their God and that they would be his people and that they would live in a land under his blessing and his rule. Well, it's kind of partially happening under the kings, but not fully. And when Israel go astray, God sends the prophets to remind the people, hey, remember this agreement that we have. Remember my covenant promises to you. Get back on track. Worship me, follow my law, obey me. That is the job of the prophets. Now, part of the reason why they predict the future is that there's blessings and curses. Now, the prophets are telling people that if you live this way, there's blessing. Remember, God has said that. But if you live the other way, ignoring God, disobeying him, worshipping other gods, then these are the consequences. So there's a sense where the prophets are laying out the future for the people. Today is your chance to decide what future you want. A future of living in the land under God's blessing or a future of God's judgment. Now God's people are forever having trouble obeying God. We saw that. It didn't matter whether it was the period of the judges or the kings. The problem has been not with the system of government but with the people. Each and every individual human has to grapple with our sin, our own inability to follow God. And it's no different today, just as it was then, so it is now. And one thing to remember about the prophets is that they're reinforcing what God has already said. They're not saying, now listen here people, if you decide that today you want to follow God, you've got to do all of this stuff, and then maybe in the future God will accept you. No, no, what they say is in fact the opposite. Remember that you are God's people. You have already been made God's special chosen people living in his special chosen land under his blessing. 
You've already got that. Do you want that to continue or not? The prophets are not saying that their future is dependent on pleasing God so that one day they can be his people. No, that relationship has existed since the time of the Exodus. They are already God's people and that is why they live that way. So even though throughout time and history people have rebelled against God time and again, they failed to live up to what God has said, God does not give up on them and instead he sends them prophets. They are the ones who are helping Israel to manage this kind of covenant relationship that they have with God. And sadly, we know that even though God has done all that he could, Israel is still in rebellion against him. And as we saw in our graph, what goes up must come down. Sadly, the kingdoms as we know them come to an end in 587 BC when Jerusalem is destroyed. So remember that the kingdom is split at this point. Uh, Solomon's two kids, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, can't decide who's going to be king. So they kind of mark eight, well, a bit like Korea, we'll split it north and south. Uh, one can rule the north, one can rule the south. And that wasn't very good, that was never the intention, but it sort of worked for a while until it all came crashing down. Uh, until that point, though, the prophets were there, kind of the oil or the grease that allow all the other moving parts of the kingdom to keep working. And how did they do that? Well, they would tell people and often kings what God says, particularly when God is unhappy since the people are not doing what they said they would. Uh, remember back in Exodus 24, they said, we'll do everything that God has told us to do, but they don't. So God sends them a prophet and says, hey, look, you said you're going to do everything that I commanded you to do, and you're not. So here are your two futures. Choose wisely. And this is what happens here in 2 Kings 22. We have this prophetess woman, Huldah, telling the people what God says. Firstly, she addresses the northern kingdom. And this is the northern half of God's people after Solomon's death. And these people went off track in a big way pretty quickly. Uh, God's judgment is coming on them, she says. And then there's a different message, though. You see, even though they've worshipped other gods, they violated the commandments, and God tells them, this is what will happen to you. The message, though, is different for the southern kingdom where King Josiah rules. Uh, Huldah then turns her attention to the southern kingdom in Judah, and there's a different message in verses 18 to 20. Uh, God will judge Israel in the north, but will spare Judah in the south. God's blessing is dependent on obedience. There's a sense where God's benefits of living under his rule and blessing are conditional on worshipping him. So God's judgment comes on those who don't worship him, uh, and then there's God's blessing and covenant love for those who do. And remember, God's kingdom and God's judgment are tied together. Uh, it might seem like the prophets are saying something harsh, hey, God's angry with you and God will judge you, and that's often not a message we want to hear, but this is nothing new. This is, in fact, a reminder of what God told the people back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. God made all those promises about blessings and curses way back then, hundreds if not a thousand years earlier. So God has made these promises and we're going to see how the prophets play out 
in showing Israel how God keeps them. So we're turning now to the promises. God made promises to Israel, you'll recall, back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 11, it lays it out very clearly that there will be blessings or curses. Uh, There's God is going to keep his promise. I promise you that if you obey me, if you listen to me and do everything I instruct you to do, you'll be blessed and you'll live a long life in the land and everything will be good. But there's also the flip side, which is the curse. If you decide that you're going to live contrary to what I command you, then you'll find that it's not going to end so well. I said last week that Israel and God were almost in a marriage relationship at this point. Uh, At the mountain, Mount Sinai, Israel and God agree to get together. Uh, They will be his people and he will be their God. And Moses is kind of the celebrant saying, hey, God, do you want this people to be yours? And God says, yes. And Israel, will you do everything that God commands and make God your God? And they say, yes. And it's a happy marriage for all of a couple of days till they make the golden calf. Now, this marriage thing is not just a crazy idea that I had. In fact, it's something that comes out in the prophets later on. So one of the prophets, as we see, lays out just how serious this is. Uh, The seriousness is set out in the book of Hosea. God instructs one of his prophets, Hosea, to marry a woman who is unfaithful to him. And why? Because it's kind of an enacted parable. Uh, Hosea is going to experience for himself what God has experienced with Israel. Hosea is going to get a taste firsthand of how hurtful and how unkind it is to be betrayed and cheated on. God instructs him to marry this woman who he knows is going to be unfaithful to him. She's going to sleep with other men behind his back, and he knows it. But this is the kind of people that God has taken to be his own. Uh, This kind of spiritual adultery is what Israel have done throughout history. They're always going off behind God's back to worship some other god, Baal or Ashtoreth or building a golden calf. Uh, They're forever doing something that is spiritually adulterous. Uh, And it's like they've been unfaithful. It's as if they've been flirting with other gods in other places. And if you see on our next slide, it's, it's kind of like this in Ezekiel 23. God accuses the people in the book of Ezekiel of doing just this. It's as if they've been prostituting themselves out to the other gods in other lands, turning their backs on him when they just made a covenant agreement to always be his. The problem is not just that they broke some rules, as Andrew Andrew told us a number of weeks ago. The the problem with sin is not rule-breaking, it's relationship-breaking. It's a kind of spiritual adultery. The people are kind of having it both ways, saying, yes, God, we love you, but then not acting in a way that shows him. So where does the kingdom go from here? God has an adulterous people and he sends them out of the land away from his blessing because in in his mind, they're not his people. They're not obeying everything he commands. They don't love him. They don't worship him. And instead, 
They're worshipping all the other gods of the other nations. So God has had enough and he says, that's it. No more kingdom at all. That's the end of it. The kingdom is at an end. At the time of the exile, we've got God's people. No, they've gone. Uh, Are they under God's rule and blessing? No, that's been taken away. Are they in God's place? No, they've been exiled, removed from the land and taken off to Babylon. And are they with a king? No, not at all. So as we see, the prophets are still at work, though, in the midst of all this chaos. The kingdom may have come to an end, but God's prophecies do not. So we're going to turn our attention to them. God even uses a pagan king, King Cyrus of Persia, to bring an end to the exile and send the people back to the land once again. And maybe this is the time when people would be thinking, oh, any minute now, surely Israel have learned their lesson. Surely now back in the land for the second time with a new temple, that's when they'll obey God. Right? Well, no, wrong. But if you've ever been really excited for something, uh, you've been really genuinely looking forward to it, expecting that it's going to be fantastic. It might be a particular experience or a movie or something. That's Israel looking forward to the new temple that they're going to build when they get back. And in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see how all this takes place. But in reality, it's kind of overhyped. They're back in the land, yes, They've got a new temple, yes, but it's not like it once was. It's kind of overrated. This whole being back in the land thing, it hasn't fixed the problem. People still attempted to worship other gods. They still don't really obey God, and God never comes back to dwell in the temple. The original temple had God's spirit in the form of a cloud in the temple. And the temple was the place that you could say God lived here on earth, in a a sense. But that never happens with the second temple. But God continues to make promises that one day things will get better. There'll be a new kingdom. There'll be a new king. And so there are more prophecies that take place, even during the exile and just after it. For example, even throughout the period of the kings, we've got God continuing to make these promises. For example, there's prophecies from Isaiah, as Phil mentioned earlier, that there will be in the future a child who is born whose name will be God is with us, Emmanuel. He'll be born of a virgin. He'll be called things that are normally only ever attributed to God, a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father. These are not attributes for a human being. These are God. So at some point, there will be the new king and the new kingdom that people have been looking forward to. Jeremiah even promised that there'd be a new covenant written on people's hearts. Zechariah sees a time of harmony and peace and prosperity sometime after God's judgment when God's king would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And friends, as we see, there's these promises that look a little bit unclear at first. Phil sort of explains with the mirror, we we see parts of it in history at that time, 
But it doesn't all come together and we don't see the full picture of God's prophecies and promises until they find their fulfilment in Jesus. God has kept his promises. There is a new king, King Jesus. There's a new kingdom, not just in the Middle East, in a small part there, but worldwide. Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. He is God with us because he's God in the flesh. And on Palm Sunday, he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And with the coming of God's kingdom and God's new king, it's as if God says those human kings cannot do the job. The the physical kingdom can't really accomplish what I wanted it to. And so what he says is, you know what? If you want a job done right, you do it yourself. Those human kings, they can't do what I can do. So you know what? I'll do it myself. I will be your king. I will become a human like you. And that's why Jesus' name is is called Emmanuel. He has this attribute of being God with us. Such is God's love for humanity that he does not give up. He instead chooses to enter history himself to do the job that no human could do. Because the problem is not with kingdoms and rulers and geographic locations. We've seen throughout Israel's history that at no point have they been able to obey God fully. They haven't been able to follow his law and do everything that they said they would. And Jesus himself makes the case that he fulfills the Old Testament expectations of a coming king a coming saviour, somebody who will restore the people to a proper relationship with God. Uh, In fact, in Jesus' first sermon in Isaiah 61, he makes this case. Uh, In Luke 4, we read of how Jesus enters the synagogue, reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and what does he say? He tells the people, "'Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.'" Jesus himself says that the Old Testament is fulfilled by him. The very day those people were in that synagogue listening to Jesus was the day that God's kingdom was with them. So friends, if you want to live with God in that close personal relationship that he desires for us to have, then you need Jesus And God has promised that all who come to Jesus in faith will be saved and will have eternal life. Uh, And even though we, like Israel, find it hard and we can't obey him perfectly, and the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the good news is that Jesus forgives us and brings us into his kingdom anyway. Jesus has died for sinners just like me, just like you. And we're not looking forward to somebody else or something else. The kingdom is here now with Jesus. The prophecies have been fulfilled here now with Jesus. We're not looking for someone or something more or something else. And Jesus' kingdom is worldwide. His prophecies extend even into the future because not all of them have been fulfilled yet. But what we do know is that Jesus as our king and as our present kingdom ruler is the guy who will fulfill them in the future. 
and friends, we're going to see a little more about what that means in the coming weeks. But for now, come to Jesus, get to know him, make him your king. Understand how he is the one who fulfills everything the Old Testament prophets have promised and no doubt will fulfill them even more in the future. Now let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who saves us, the one who is our king, the one who is God in human form. Thank you, Lord, that the Old Testament promises and prophecies are fulfilled in him. And Father, we look forward to the day when more of them are fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. Until then, Lord, we pray that we will make you our king. Thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, treating us not just as slaves but as dearly beloved children. And Father, we pray that we'll continue to love you and serve you as our king and not look to serve other gods and other things of this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.